Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I love you guys. I thank God for you. And hey, if we got to go through what we're going through, I'm glad we're going through it together. I'm glad we're going through it with a gracious God who, who loves us, who is with us, who is for us. And I'm grateful that we have his word to guide us through what we're going through. I mean, I never want there to be a day in my life when he doesn't speak to me through his word. I never want there to be a day in your life when you don't hear from God as you dig into his word. But can you imagine a time when God would not speak? You would hear nothing. Remember when that time happened? God was silent for 400 years. Isn't that wild? Uh, His people at the time uh, had the Old Testament part of the Bible. But after it was written and the final page read, that was it for 400 years. And then into history, God sent his son, Jesus, who is the living word of God. And God spoke through Jesus profoundly, deeply. In fact, remember um, when Jesus inaugurated his final uh, year of ministry, year three, he climbs up a mountain with a couple of uh, his best friends. And when he gets to the top of the mountain, God shows up and here's what happened. A bright cloud overshadowed them, Jesus and his friends, and a voice, the voice, the voice of God from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And so Jesus left that moment and spoke and people listened. I mean, throngs, thousands of people listened to Jesus. And as, they, as he spoke, they were enthralled with his message. They thought he what was amazing that he spoke with authority. But the religious leaders of the day hated what Jesus said. They hated him for saying what he said. And inevitably, they killed Jesus for saying what he said. Killed him on the cross. But three days later, he rose from the dead and kept saying what he said. saying what he said with power, saying what he said with love. And in fact, he told his followers, now I want you to go say to everyone you meet exactly what I've said to you. And they did. And that's when everything for the movement of Jesus went really ugly, really fast. Um, the, The same religious leaders who crucified Jesus wanted to kill every Christ follower. They looted and burned Christian businesses. They ransacked Christian homes. They beat up believers. They arrested them. They imprisoned them. They wanted them to recant their faith. They tortured them. They stole their possessions. And so finally, the tipping point was too prominent. Um, Christian leaders were executed, killed. And I mean, that sent the entire uh, Christian community into this wild panic. They packed up whatever they had. If they could carry it on their back, they did. They got a cart, they put it in a cart, and they just left Jerusalem. What had been the the heartbeat of the Christian faith, they left that city 
by the thousand. They left in every direction. They scattered all over the world, getting as far as they could from the perilous persecution. And wherever these early believers went, wherever they settled, they started churches. And then, I didn't tell you this last week, and then it gets even worse. The people in the villages, in the towns, in the cities where Christians settled and started churches, those people began to persecute Christians. Now more loss of life, more loss of property, more loss of business, more loss of possessions. And it's into that very moment that God breaks his 400-year silence, that God decides to speak. And his decision was to breathe on a unique man, a man named James. And I say that he's unique because he just happened to be the blood brother of Jesus. Actually, the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus and James shared the same mom, Mary. Uh, but James, his dad was Joseph, and Jesus was the son of God. Now, what else made James unique was for a significant portion of his life, he did not believe that Jesus was the son of God. He opposed Jesus. He ridiculed Jesus. He disrespected Jesus. In fact, it got to the point he thought Jesus had lost his mind. And the defining moment in James's life was the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, seeing a dead brother in three days come back from the dead will do that to you. From that point forward, Jesus was way in another universe more than his brother. Jesus was his Lord, his King, his Savior. James began to serve his Lord Jesus with every breath and under the breath of God. He begins to write to all those believers everywhere. This book that he wrote would be carried to every far-flung church in every far-flung community. And here's what James wrote. He writes this way, from James, a servant of God and of my Lord Jesus Christ to all God's people scattered everywhere in the world. Fellow believers, when you have many kinds of troubles, you should be full of joy because you know that these troubles test your faith. This will stir up power within you, power to handle anything, power to endure all things. See, as long as you're alive, you'll have troubles. James doesn't say if troubles come. He says, when troubles come. Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. He went on to say, take heart. I've conquered this world of trouble, and you can too. You see, our God, when he breaks his 400-year silence, the whole point was to teach us how to triumph over any kind of trouble. Our God, because he loves us and is with us and is made available to us, all spiritual power. He doesn't want us weighed down by the troubles of life. He wants us to win against the troubles of life. In fact, James says, count on it. You will have a multitude of troubles. Poikilos is the Greek word that he uses for this multitude of troubles, and it means multiple Colors, multicolored, multifaceted, multi-sided. It means that there will be times when you are surrounded by troubles. And now James, uh, the author of this book, he, he was a thoroughly Jewish man. 
And his listeners, most of those who would read and hear his book for the very first time, were a thoroughly Jewish people. So it's kind of my sense that he opens his book with these words, that you'll be surrounded by troubles. Don't be surprised. In fact, there's going to be a reason for joy because he wants them to think of a time, a defining moment in the history of God's people when the entire nation of Israel was surrounded by troubles. You see, let me give you the backstory. The Jewish nation was on the run. They were running from slavery, 400 years of slavery, running into freedom. But they found their backs pinned against the Red Sea. Couldn't go that way. Uh, to the north were Egyptian military outposts. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And the king of Egypt, he makes a decision, I want my slaves back. I want the slaves either back or dead. And so he, he launches this military assault. The very finest of technology of today, chariots. And he had an elite uh, chariot force, 600 chariots. But then he had other chariots. He had uh, infantry, and he, he, he led them all to recapture or to kill the Israelite slaves. Now, they, they, they couldn't keep going because of the Red Sea. They had the military outpost of Egypt to the north, to the south. It was terrible terrain, uncrossable. And from the west, charging in on them, was the greatest military might of the day, the Egyptian army. And this just throws God's people into a, a wild panic. And Moses, their leader, says, you know, just chillax. I got a plan. And Moses says this to them. He says three things. Here's my plan. One, don't be afraid. Two, just stand back. Three, watch the Lord rescue you today. Now, I'm guessing that there's someone within the sound of my voice who needs that wise counsel, that you feel surrounded by trouble, more troubles than you can count. I mean, haven't you noticed that about trouble? They don't come one at a time. Troubles run in packs, and they have different levels of intensity. Some are tremendously painful. They have different lengths of duration. Some just feel like they're going to go on and on and on and on. As James writes, they are multicolored, different shades, different sizes, different shapes. And so maybe you need to hear the plan of Moses. Don't be afraid. You just make matters worse. You've given yourself an additional trouble. Stand back. Watch the Lord rescue you. Well, here's how it happened. I mean, the wild thing to me, it's the middle of the night. And what God does out of his great mercy, he places a cloud, I'd say a cloud of confusion, between the Israel nation, the Israeli nation, and the Egyptian army that's charging at them. The Egyptians can't find them, can't see them. They couldn't find their own butts with both hands. That goes on through the night. It's the middle of the night. At the same time, you see, our God can do two things at the same time and still chew gum. At the same time, God 
blows a hard breath on the Red Sea. I mean, his breath hammers the Red Sea like an ax split in wood. And it divides the sea in two, splits it up, a, a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right and dry land in between. God says, now move. It's two o'clock in the morning. It's dark, but they move in faith. They hustle across to safety and the other side. As dawn breaks, God lifts that cloud of confusions. The Egyptian army is like, hey, there they are. Let's go get them. And they charge between the walls of water on that same dry path across the Red Sea. But once the entire Egyptian army, troops and chariots are in the midst of the sea, God lets go of those walls. The walls of water collapse, crushing, crashing down on the army, destroying them all. And I mean God's people. They thought they had known joy before. They had never known joy like this. The experience of having God rescue them from their troubles. They sang. They danced. And, and, and this is why James could, James could so readily say and remind his readers, count it a great joy when you have troubles on every side because you are going to be blown away by how God delivers you. You see, our God He'll make a way where there is no way. And um, that's his way. You got financial struggles, God will make a way. Where there is no way. You're going through some marital difficulties, God will make a way. Where there is no way. You got some health issues, God will make a way. Where there is no way. And what triggers God to create a way? Working everything together for your good, making everything beautiful in its time. This God who is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or imagine, what triggers his good work in your behalf is your willingness to not be afraid, to not be troubled by your troubles, to stand back and watch God rescue you. Um, this word for multicolored that James uses to describe troubles that surround us, multi-sided troubles, multi-faceted troubles, that word poikilos appears again in the New Testament. This time, Peter uses it. Listen to how Peter uses it. Peter writes, be faithful dispensers of the magnificently varied or multicolored, multi-sided, multifaceted grace of God. Peter said, hey, you're going to have troubles, but God's got grace for every trouble. You're, sometimes troubles will surround you, but God will surround you with his grace. God gives a, gr a gift of grace for every trouble you face. The prophet Jeremiah sang it this way. He sings, Because of the Lord's great grace, we are not exhausted by our troubles. For his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Isn't that wild? Every morning, God gives you new expressions of his grace. So you can handle your troubles. So your troubles don't trouble you anymore. Now, I'll admit, the vast majority of people ignore those expressions of God's mercy and love. The vast majority of people just walk right by them. Never try to leverage them for their own benefit. 
to trigger the work of God to their good for their lives and every aspect of their lives. But you, child of God, you can see the mercies. You can seize the mercies. You can celebrate the mercies. And you can be dispensers. You can share the mercies with others. And so James writes, you should rejoice. Rejoice. You should rejoice because you know that these troubles, you got yours, I got mine. You should rejoice because you know that these troubles test your faith. And this, this having troubles will stir up God's power within you so that you can handle anything, so you can endure all things. Uh, when the text says uh, that the troubles will test your faith, the word test there um, means to refine and strengthen. In the day of James, um, if someone wanted to refine and get the strongest possible metal, they would apply heat. They would turn up the heat until the metal melted. And they would keep turning up the heat until the impurities and weaknesses in the metal rose to the surface, bubbled to the surface. And then they could scrape off the impurities and they, could, they would keep working this process until they could actually see the reflection of their face in the surface of the metal. All impurities gone. All imperfections gone. The, 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 the metal as strong as possible. This is why our Jesus is called the refiner. Because I believe he uses the troubles that happen in our life. I mean, this is the coolest thing about loving Jesus and following Jesus. He puts purpose in our troubles. I mean, other people that don't know the Lord, they just have trouble. But when you know the Lord, he uses your troubles to heat up your life. So that the, the imperfections and impurities in your life can rise to the surface so that it can just scrape them off. And Jesus keeps working this process in your life and working this process until he can look into the surface of your life and see a reflection of his own image. In fact, it makes me think the sooner that we begin to reflect the image of Christ, the sooner our problems can go away. Refined. For strength. James says, this is why you, you, you rejoice. And no one can take away your choice to rejoice. Maybe you can't control uh, the circumstances, the outside stuff, the situation of your life, the unemployment or, or the virus, the, the financial struggles, the, the cancer. The, 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 the family crises, the marital difficulties. But you, you have full choice on what goes on on the inside of your life. To rejoice is a choice. That's your choice even in the face, even when surrounded by troubles. And if you don't make the choice to rejoice, you're just going to be miserable. And so maybe you want to give me some pushback and say, oh, okay, David, am I su supposed to rejoice for my cancer and rejoice for my unemployment and uh, rejoice for my marital uh, challenges and my financial difficulties? No, that's masochism. You don't rejoice for your troubles. You rejoice in your troubles. And that's the way you get to victory. 
Rejoicing for your struggle would be masochism, but rejoicing in your struggle is what brings about the power of God to handle anything. It's what brings you victory. It's what helps you win, gain triumph over every trouble. So you choose to rejoice and make joy happen in your life. Um, Rejoice because you know that these troubles test your faith. And this will stir up the power of God within you to handle anything, to endure all things, James writes. You see, if there's anything I want you to think about as we go into our time of communion, I want you to ponder the fact that the devil wants to use the troubles you face to defeat you. But God wants to use the troubles you face to develop and, and deepen you. That, that there is purpose in, in every struggle. And, and it's our responsibility. Life will throw at us all kinds of troubles. It's our responsibility through prayer and listening to God to find the purpose in the struggle to let it heat us up so the impurities are released and we become stronger and more perfect in Jesus than ever before. And so as we enter this time of intimate communion, deep friendship with Jesus, I, I want to offer us the opportunity to give him the freedom to work that refining process in us. Um, it, it happened to Jesus. I'm, I mean, that's why we take communion. We remember how he suffered in his body. There's no way Jesus was getting to the resurrection and the supernatural power of God that's even available to us, but through his suffering, through the troubles that he endured and how he endured them and his shed blood, which we commemorate with a cup of juice. We, we remember that that was the price he paid for our greatest trouble, our sin, death, hell. And so I'm going to invite us into this moment. Uh, if, if together you, you would take your pieces of bread or cracker or chip and let me pray over you and then we'll take it together. Our Lord Jesus, we... We thank you for giving us the heads up that um, in this life we will have trouble. No escaping it. You weren't able to escape it. But you also gave us the promise that you conquered this world of trouble, and we can too. You, you, you did it by your willing sacrifice on the cross as you became our sin offering paying for our sin and being made our sin, that we might be made right with God and that we might be infused with your supernatural power. I mean, that's what the bread means. It's all the promises of God wrapped up in that bread. So as we eat it, Lord, we say, please bless it, and we lay our troubles at your feet. And now if you take the cup and be prepared to drink it as, as soon as I bless it, would you bow with me, please? Lord Jesus, 
Your blood breaks every change. I believe that your blood is greater than every trouble. I believe it's the power in your blood as we ingest it that helps us gain triumph. Because now it's not just that we benefit from your crucifixion, your broken body, your shed blood. Now we can appropriate the, the incomparably great power by which you were, were raised from the dead. We can have that power for our marriage and that power in our finances and that power for our health that we can stand back, be unafraid as we watch you rescue us from every trouble, every size, shape, color, shade, and facet of trouble. We want you to surround us, Lord. Thank you for giving us grace, the gift of grace for every trouble we face. As we take the cup together, we praise you for the power of your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. I love that we can open God's word together. And I, I don't want to walk away from this moment without saying, I worship you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord, that you give us grace for every trouble. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.